Hello and welcome to the K Voices podcast. This podcast follows the K Enterprise's mission to implement holistic solutions for security, environmental, and social problems. Through this podcast, K Enterprises and MI Cynic join forces to talk about today's areas of concern and present innovative solutions. Hello and welcome back to the final part of our conversation regarding the post-COVID world. Together with Gracias Casongo, Elliot Wilson and Professor Quancam, we previously spoke about modernization and security. Today's episode picks up where we left off on the subject of terrorism. Well, I think that's... You've hit on a number of very interesting and interconnected points. Uh, I think fundamentally, the reason we need to think about terrorism in the context of COVID-19 is because terrorism thrives on empty spaces. Uh, Now, we've seen internationally that that can be failed states uh, like uh, Iraq to an extent, Syria to an extent, parts of Africa, Somalia, for example, wherever there are weak governance systems and weak national power, then you often get terrorist groups thriving in the vacuum that that results. But I think that also works in a more conceptual and also electronic space. I think COVID-19 is clearly producing an enormous pivot for change of all kinds, for business, for society, for infrastructure, for digitization, there is there is a massive turning point here. And I think as we go from our old sets of preconceptions, uh, before we quite engage with our, our new model, and we don't know what that model exactly is going to be yet, there is a gap into which terrorism can expand and exploit weakness. But I think also, Gracias, to pick up your point on radicalization, which is hugely important. Yeah. Again, it, it's that issue of, of filling an empty space. What radicalization does is it identifies a gap in the narrative. Uh, it targets people who no longer understand or feel comfortable with the way they see the world working, whether it be economic uh, deprivation, whether it's more social factors creating dissatisfaction. Essentially, what terrorism does is it thrives on people thinking, I don't like what is happening now, but I don't know how to change it. And of course, terrorism and and radicalisation more broadly comes in and it provides an easy set of answers. It says, if you do X, Y and Z, everything all your questions will be answered, all your wishes will be fulfilled, your life will be better. Um, and I think because we know that people spend so much of their uh, their time on electronic devices, on the internet, um, engaging with the digital world, people have digital personalities increasingly, um, then I think that, that's, that's where terrorism and radicalization very obviously get in. But just one last point, I think, um, and it's to amplify something you said, Gracias, um, when you were talking about the, the security of mobile devices, we tend, I think a lot of us, not to think as seriously as we should about the security of our mobile phones or whatever. Because, you know, what we think about is either it being hacked into by the Chinese Secret Service and you think, oh, well, that's never going to happen to me. Or you think about it in the rather mundane way of giving away some data to an advertising firm or whatever. But I think if we change the the perspective ever so slightly, if you imagine all of the data 
that you keep in one mobile device as physical items, and then you piled them all together, you would have this treasure trove of information, very personal information about yourself that you would never expose to any kind of risk or any kind of intrusion from the outside world. And yet, because it's digitized, because it's it's numbers in, in cyberspace, it's, it's out in the ether, we don't really see it, I think, in a lot of cases as being the, the absolute you know, hoard of, of information that we should do. So I think that's something which people like you need to, to keep pressing on and saying, look, this is this is not only important because it'll be inconvenient if somebody clones a credit card. This is the this is the blueprint of your life. This is who you are. This is your behavior, your personality, your work, your leisure time, your interests, your political beliefs, everything is bound up in this set of of data, and I think that's that's a point that we we need to repeat to ourselves, and need to have repeated to to us by people like you. And you know what, you're spot on, because you Elliot. One of the things that we've noticed across spectrum is so concerning, is that uh, these groups are actually now infiltrating devices and doing something called personification. Personification means somebody's becoming you. They're they're becoming you completely. They know how they know what social platform to use, and they're propagating things without without you knowing it. You, 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 so you've probably you experienced it yourself. You listened to us today. Uh, you don't understand why you can't access your account. And in a, a, a week later, uh, you discover that there's been a lot of things that you've posted, but it wasn't you yourself. And the way it starts, for example, for example is you get a, an email, you get a text from a friend of a friend. Sometimes you get a, a, a text that came randomly and it seems very persuasive. You click on that link. Before you know it, you are compromised. What we do as a team and with all our friends and partners is provide you with mobile device security so that you are safe. As an NGO government uh, and, and a business, you need to be safe. Uh, we hope at the end of, the, of, of this podcast, you can definitely reach out to us and we can help in the sharing. And one thing that you did say, Elliot, and I got to commend you for this, is yes, social economic factors have a lot to play on radicalization. So governments that are not tackling the issues of infrastructure are going to suffer a lot. And, uh, and, and this is something I think we should definitely discuss more in detail. But first, thing, I want to pick your brain. What are you thinking in regards to the SecDev and mobile device security for health? Well, well I, this, is a, this is a very fascinating conversation. Uh, I, as a lay person in terms of uh, security matters, I, it, it never occurred to me just how, um, I mean, listening to you, Wes, and, and, and amplified also by Elliot, I, I realized how, um, how much uh, at risk I am just based on my uh, a mobile device, even from a health point of view. Which is, you know, which is my area. So I think um, there's there's a lot that we need to 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 chew on there. Um, I just wanted to, to to go back to an earlier um, point that we discussed about information and disinformation, if you will. Um, in, in health, we we have um at some 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 years back, and it's still an ongoing effort. This, there was a distinct attempt made to identify a set of trusted websites. Uh, now, if you think of WHO, the WHO website, you know anything you see there should be uh, good information, reliable information, trustworthy information. And more generally, the idea of trusted websites uh, led to the creation of something called Health on the Net, which is a... An, uh, 
an NGO or that certifies, if you will, websites that adhere to certain principles of uh, truth, um, fairness, et cetera, et cetera, certain basic principles that are published. And if a website adheres to these uh, principles, then they get the health on the net label. I wonder whether that sort of vetting, uh, or I wonder how that sort of vetting might extend to non-health type uh, domains. No. And you, you're the experts uh, in, in that. Would that help in terms of curbing uh, dissemination? Or are we headed towards um, a situation where everybody uh, is, is sort of a policeman? And I lived in Switzerland for 20 years. Uh, and, and there's a, a joke about everyone in Switzerland is both an accountant and a policeman. And that's why, you know, the Swiss... Uh, life, Swiss society is so well ordered, so well behaved. <laughs> um, so uh, I, I open it up to you guys. Well, thank you, Yunkap. Uh, uh, certainly uh, a, a, a lighter note uh, to end with. But but before we shift away to the uh, to the next topic, I uh, I wanted to thank you all for your insights into uh, this challenging topic in terrorism and and mobile security. Um, but I wanted to add a few of, of my points before we shift away. Something I thought would be uh, uh, interesting for you to to consider and um, to frame. Uh, this debate that we're having on on the future of terrorism, one of them has to do with uh, checkpoints. There's many countries have put in checkpoints in place for co as part of COVID regulations, uh, just to check if people have had their tests or are vaccinated and whatnot. And this seems to have actually had an effect on uh, on terrorists uh, being able to enter and move around areas freely, and has led to a counter reaction from them avoiding certain checkpoints. And I thought this was interesting to consider as well. Um, how a seemingly naive or uh, or certainly not planned for uh, uh, policy ends up having a, an effect uh, that we can tangibly see on on how terrorists uh, conduct their their, uh, their terror. And uh, lastly, how and I think Elliot has has pointed to this in his point as well. You said a, a line which I really like the, the terrorism thrives on empty spaces. I think there's a, there's a lot of truth there and uh, we can talk for hours about that. Uh, but wh where I would add uh, a bit of my point here is is that they thrive on empty spaces and they thrive on tearing the social fabric uh, as well, perhaps synonymously. Uh, and I can point to the hate crimes on Asian peoples that we, we have seen escalate uh, notably last year and continuing, of course, into this year, especially at the start of the pandemic, when uh, Asian peoples were, were were perhaps blamed or or unduly feared uh, uh, during the start of uh, the pandemic, when we knew a lot less, uh, and as well, uh, there have been reports, disturbing reports, that in China, uh, African communities have been shouldered uh, a lot of the blame and fear and resentment uh, um, for uh, for the pandemic. So these are just some points to to consider on on how th these empty spaces are generated, created, and how the social fabric uh, continues to be torn by these terrorists that uh, that manipulate and prey on on these type of social reactions and policies. On that note, though, I'd like to uh, skip to the last topic uh, today, which is going to be about awareness. And uh, some questions I had for our panelists today are. 
what you see as the key opportunities in this challenging post-COVID environment. And uh, that, that can include uh, technology, uh, regulations, um, what businesses and what individuals, what key skills are going to be needed um, to thrive. And likewise, what are the key risks for businesses and individuals, for employment, for livelihood. How do you see those playing out uh, in the post-COVID world? Thomas, first of all, thanks for this question. And it definitely goes in line with the infrastructure uh, uh, development uh, discussions we've had previously before. And, 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 and definitely the challenge businesses have right now is businesses that are not adapting and, uh, to these, these changes are not transforming accordingly will suffer the most and we're seeing that uh that we've seen that across from the start of um, of the pandemic uh and uh you know because of that this creates a, a, a increases unemployment as unemployment increases then again families are affected um but also businesses that are have actually secured to adapt and become uh, to this whole virtualization uh, have thrived. A lot of businesses have thrived from this, and those who have already been mainly virtualized were able to continue as, as, as normal and, and things continue so forth. I think that businesses need to be much more uh, creative, I would say, uh, about how they adapt with this. Uh, there's no really best perfect fit for this. You need to just uh, apply different tactics that work for you, different things. And uh, one thing I would recommend um, you know, overtly is, you know, if you're having meetings virtually, if you need to travel, travel. If you don't need to travel, just, just have a virtual meeting. I mean, uh, we all love traveling, uh, but uh, if we can do this and we do it this way. I think uh, the concern we have is that uh, across the UK, for example, if you're a business and you're struggling, you can reach out to us and we can, you need finance and you want you have large scale projects. Uh, our finance teams and partners, we can look at a variety of portfolios to help you with these, these large scale projects. Um, also for governments, uh, if you're involved in large green projects or your modernization projects, that'd be from the education sector, health specifically, uh, all the way to uh, governance. You want to transform things on that side of things. Uh, ESG more precisely, enterprises and our partners, our families will look at ways to help you with that. Um, uh, the concern we have across the continent right now is that, uh, you know, uh, it's... Uh, the, the pace of this transformation is really slow. We, we feel that to the infrastructure development, uh, sometimes uh, what prohibits these, these, these projects to move forward is financing. So uh, what makes uh, uh, this relationship unique is that we actually look at, you know, what, 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 you know, what are the current constraints you have as a government? What are the challenges you're facing right now? And here's that we can help you with a variety of financial packages to support. Um, but on top of that, with a variety of technologies, uh, services, and consultancy. So uh, the support is available. Uh, as a business, uh, by default, contact us to, to, to secure your teams. If you're not secure on a virtual space, because you're now virtualized, mostly, uh, you're vulnerable. We'll look at mobile device security on a baseline. VPN in itself is overrated. A lot of people say, VPN, have VPN, that's all you need. Uh, no one lie to you, that's not enough. Uh, our technology is enabled to scan your device by default. Uh, uh, you, you you know, for example, if you're if you're you know accessing different Wi-Fi, uh, uh, you know, if it's safe or not, because people think that just because I'm on a Wi-Fi, <laughs> um, yeah, it's safe. No, no, no. You have to make sure that that's safe. Uh, antiviruses like uh, uh, the challenge we have right now is people are, are traditional antiviruses are not AI oriented. 
And because of that, they, uh, the way it works is, for example, visualize this. You've all paid Tetris, for example, right? Imagine, for example, you have all these different, I'm just simplifying language of all these different shapes, right? Automatically, you know, it knows that's the shape, it knows that's the shape, and then what happens is, for example, it can neutralize it, you know, like make a full line neutralize it. All of a sudden, there's a new shapes coming along, metaphorically speaking, it does not recognize the shapes. Uh, it doesn't know what to do with it, so it normalizes it. And by default, it accumulates and accumulates and accumulates, goes to the very top, and then it crumbles. And the problem with uh, current uh, traditional uh, cyber um, uh, uh, technology is that, is that, is that it, doesn't, it doesn't adapt, it's not AI-oriented. With our capabilities provided for AI technologies, and our partners can also help you uh, if it's a project scale, as a government, uh, to have that across not only all your sectors, uh, but to support you uh, throughout. Uh, finally, but not least, I believe also uh, when we're looking at the issues of disinformation, uh, or, you know, having the ability to do forensic analysis on a virtual space is important. Uh, we're talking about, for example, understanding the, the dark web, the deep web. How, how, you know, how are these criminal groups all the way to terrorist groups, radical groups? adapting and using different methods to actually uh, exchange information, inf influence your society, influence people, uh, and, and recruit. So uh, if you need help with that, you can reach our teams we'll have to discuss. And that's some of the thoughts we have. If I may also add, and I would love Professor Young to add about this, is telehealth and how telehealth is should be by default a universal thing for every country. You should have it. If you're struggling with that, you can reach the team. And Elliot, I know you are uh, with, for our RGB family. Uh, we'd love to hear from you how we can help and support governments in regards to that as well. Gracias. I think you you hit the nail on the head there when you were talking about creativity, because one of the things we've seen is that businesses have had to change during uh, the pandemic because. It, it's been overwhelming and it's had such a fundamental effect on the, the, the way we do business, whether that's physically, whether that's digitally, uh, conceptually even. But I think there are two ways of approaching that change. And I think the, the obvious way, but the way which is very much a short-term fix, is to look at your loss of capacity, a loss of capability because of COVID, and think, how can we, for the, the period during which this pandemic will last, how can we effectively recreate what we used to do through different means? So whether that's through uh, teleconferencing, whether it's through remote working, um, or, or, or meeting in, in smaller teams, or using an office differently, that's, that's fine in a way. So that will get you through the pandemic. But I think a much greater challenge, which brings with it, therefore, much greater opportunities, is to say, well, hang on a minute. This has been a time of absolutely fundamental change. This is a good opportunity for us to pause for a moment and think, what is it actually we do? What is our core business? And starting from that point, as opposed to what we're currently doing, how can we best deliver that service, perform that function, whatever your business may be. And I think that's going to be the challenge for businesses because you, you see particularly in, uh, I mean, I, I'd look uh, quite a lot at the financial services sector and a lot of banks and, and, and wealth management firms are trying to get people back into the office as quickly as possible. Um, you know, there was an interview in the Sunday Times last week with uh, 
George Yakabescu, who is the, the chairman, the outgoing chairman, I think, of Canary Wharf Group. And he was saying that working from home is a fad, that it will pass, that people want to come back into the office. And of course, this, this serves his purpose because he's in charge of a, a large real estate footprint. Uh, he has lots of consumer uh, industries dependent on him, dependent on footfall through his his area. But I, I think that's missing the point because transformation surely has to be about an absolute revision and reimagining of what it is you do as a business and how you do it. And I think it's people who grasp that nettle who see that there are, are completely different ways to do what they've done, or perhaps that there are different things that they didn't do before. Um, I mean, I think we've seen some very interesting short-term adaptations uh, to respond to the pandemic by, for example, uh, Brewdog uh, started making hand sanitizer, as did a couple of, of gin companies in London. And uh, Barber, the, the, the country where uh, firms started making uh, PPE, um, medical protective equipment. And so I think we've seen that there is the potential for radical transformation. And I think people need to, to reassess their, their whole raison d'etre, really, um, to make the most of the opportunities that the pandemic affords. I absolutely agree with um, everything that, you know, both my... Uh, other panelists have, have said this is a very fascinating area. Uh, just to go back to the uh, the the last aspect uh, you mentioned, Thomas, awareness. As you you probably know, in in health, we just about every the, the fight against any kind of disease or any initiative begins with awareness. You want the public to be aware. You want the caregivers to be aware. You want uh, all those involved, all the various stakeholders to be fully aware of what is happening. Now, if you go a bit further, how do you make people aware? By, and gracias, you did uh, uh, indicate some of this, by sharing what you know, the knowledge that you know. And it's very interesting how information and knowledge are pretty much public goods in the sense that your sharing them does not diminish how much of them uh, you have left. It's not, a, it's not a finite quantity there where if you give away some of it, then there's, there's only so much left. No, uh, a public good, when you share it, in fact, uh, you, you, it becomes um, a more, more, more important. So that whole idea of knowledge sharing is at the origin. When you introduced me, you mentioned uh, chairing a task force at the Innovation Working Group on the Global Knowledge Commons. The idea of a knowledge commons from, from uh, the English history, of course, a commons, a place where everybody goes and uh, they, there's something in common for everyone to, uh, to enjoy or to, to, to make use of. That was what inspired, and the fact, let's add another fact, the fact that in the digital technology area, that's where we started, you'll see how this could expand to other areas. Um, there's so much going on around the world, people uh, innovating, people creating uh, new things. But unfortunately, uh, some of what is being created and is considered new, innovative in one context, already exists somewhere else. In fact, um, Gibson, Christopher Gibson, anyway, he said, the future is already here. It's just not evenly distributed. So anyway, getting back to my point is, if you, if you, 
why do people reinvent things that exist elsewhere? Because they're not aware that these things already exist. And in fact, that was the whole purpose, the whole drive for creating this idea of a knowledge commons. And basically it answers the following question, who is doing what, where, how well is it working? What can we learn from it? What can we share from it? And I give a very small example. Look at the four of us here. We've been talking about uh, the, the pandemic, for example, as a topic. If, and, and other bits having to do with the pandemic, if, if Elliot knew everything that Gracias, Thomas, and I knew, and I knew everything that Gracias, Thomas, and Elliot knew, if each of us knew everything that all of us, that the others knew, think about the power that that would represent. So this is the idea of the Global Knowledge Commons, a place where people could input their nuggets of information and knowledge that they wish to share, and from which everyone can draw. And that's that sort of platform is what we, we proposed. Uh, it was launched in Rio de Janeiro in 2015, October 2015. And the International Society for Telemedicine eHealth is in the process of actually building this platform to enable people to actually benefit from what is already known, rather than uh, spend more expend more energy in recreating things that already exist. Now, this is in a small uh, space of, maybe small space of digital health, but the same concept applies in any space, if you will. Um, if every country knew what other countries have learned from the COVID experience, if, whether it's in business, whether it's in health, whether it's in transportation, in all sectors of the economy, the idea of sharing what we we know is particularly appealing. And at a time like this, where we need to optimize the use of our resources, our limited resources, I might add, I think the idea of more of sharing, you know, is very, very, uh, could be very profitable. And I'll close with a statement that's attributed to um, uh, Abraham Lincoln, uh, but don't quote me on this. <laughs> anyway, he's supposed to have said, that knowledge sharing can be compared to the light of a candle. You can light a second candle from the first without diminishing the light of the first, but together the two shine brighter. And that's exactly the spirit that we want to inculcate in the area of knowledge sharing so that we get the most out of the effort that we've done collectively, uh, in, whether it's in solving problems in health, having to do with the pandemic, or in the economy as a whole. Thank you. Actually, I want to really briefly contribute in view of what you're sharing, uh, Professor Youngcap, and the reason why telehealth is important, and, and actually we've had in, in and out discussions with our teams and partners in regards to it, is first of all, through telehealth, you will understand the health of your, of your nation. You know, it's a no-brainer solution, but it's about having the right telehealth because not every telehealth works. This is why we highly recommend get in touch with us, discuss with us, of our, our, our teams, our partners, we'll look at what works for you as a government. The financial support is available for large ESG projects. And the technologies to implement this is, is, is ready. It will take you less than six months, actually, for us to put it all together and support. Uh, 
the other thing that I, I really love how you talk about Thomas, the case of awareness. Awareness is a big thing. Uh, awareness, first of all, again, just to recap what we discussed today, guys, and for you, for all of you who listen to us, Percy, is that you need to be a contributor. Everything you do counts as a business, as an individual. Uh, you know, everything you do counts. Securing your business, ensuring that everything is 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 secure. Uh, what one of the things we have a very strict policy, even as as a team, and and, and I and I and I've put it lamely and I said, guys, unless you have uh, it's the end of the world and there's an earthquake, weekends spend time with your family, spend time with your children, spend time with yourselves. Take time to invest in the mental health of your teams. Uh, we also have emotional intelligence programs, micro special analysis, body language to help you as a government and NGO and business to understand the emotional, to, to improve emotional intelligence. Also for characters and projects, if you want to improve and, and be able to identify uh, activities and, and you feel that your team is struggling into the policing and so forth, we can help you for a variety of programs. What's really important to take away today uh, conclusively is that these issues will not realistically go away. And you will have several and ongoing uh, podcasts to with our, everybody here and other friends to raise awareness about a variety of issues. So do come and visit us again and hear from us. But something to take away is that you are the difference. You are the contributor, be the contributor. And if you notice something that is of disinformation, don't be the distributor because if you distribute that information, it spreads like fire. Uh, and I know that's been much in for mine. And uh, Ellie, what are you thinking? Um, I think you've you've identified a very important point there, Gracias, which is that uh, change, adaptation, the, the sort of transformation of society that we are seeing and that we're going to see more of is not a, a passive process. It's not something that we simply sit back and watch happen. We're all intimately involved in it and we all have to play a part in it, but I think we all should play a part in it as well. We should seek to do so. Um, you know, one of the things that that I, I tend to to stress to to clients and, and people with whom I'm dealing is that change is not optional. We're in a, a time which has questioned so much of what underpins the way our society works that we have to adapt to respond to it. Now we can adapt well or we can adapt badly, but we're going to have to change. Simply stand still and, uh, you know, uh, standing in the, the, the in front of the course of history and shouting stop is, is not going to work. And so really it's about how imaginative, how creative uh, you can be as an organisation or government. Uh, and I think governments have a very important part to play, but they are hobbled by the fact that traditionally they're not very good at innovative thinking. They're not very good at, at change. They're much better at reaction. And I think that's going to have to, to be something which, which changes as well. They're going to have to become much more agile, uh, much more digitally aware, and much more entrepreneurial in a way. Um, so I, I think all of what we've been saying, whether it's about terrorism, whether it's about the growth of telehealth, uh, telemedicine, uh, whether it's about flows of information, whether it's about uh, commercial and, and, and business transformation, I think all of this reflects the fact that we are in a time on which we will look back in 10, 15, 20 years and think, my God, what 
an amazing two years or however long it is of transformation that was, how much changed between late 2019 when when COVID-19 began in, in Wuhan and, you know, pick your own point, but maybe the, the middle of 2022 when we start to come out of, of what we think of as, as emergency mode. And I think that short period will be one of tremendous transformation. So it really is, it, it's a matter of getting on board deciding how you're going to work with existing trends, how you're going to make your own trends, and whether you do it well or badly. Thank you, Elliot. Well, we've reached the end of our section on awareness, and with that, uh, the end of uh, our podcast today. I know that the post-COVID world has really so much more that we can talk about, certainly. But having said that, I think we've we've touched on some of the most important issues uh, today. Dr. Yunkap spoke about the disparities in the developing world, sharing knowledge and resources and challenges in raising awareness. As Elliot spoke about the PR component of the pandemic in a social media age and how it plays into counterculture. Gracias. You also spoke about disinformation, digital security and escalating radicalization. We've raised a lot of the challenges uh, I think there's many more that uh, could possibly be said as well. Uh, and certainly, I think what I can gather from that is that the post-COVID world will have its challenges, certainly, but they are far from insurmountable. And as this is the first episode of K-Voices, I think it's a perfect tie-in to, to talk about our aspiration as well for this podcast and from, from where we're starting from, our mentality, uh, which is to present a balanced view of global security. Uh, that means that it comes with uh, describing the challenges, but also the practical solutions and the approaches to arrive at a safer, fairer tomorrow. And for that, I wanted to thank each of you today for helping us to describe not only the challenges of the world, but how you see uh, the solutions being placed in, in your areas of, of domain. Well, I wanted to thank each of you for your exceptional input and uh, hope that we may count on you for or in your presence for further collaborations in, in the future as we continue to expand uh, Cave Voices. But with that, I'd like to wish each of you the very best in your endeavours and a fond farewell. Thank, thank you very much, Thomas. It's been a pleasure. Thank you very much, everybody. Thank you for joining us today and uh, looking forward to, uh, to our next next topic. Thank you for listening to this episode of K-Voices. This series focuses on finding decisive solutions to critical problems. If your business, your organization, or yourself face a similar problem, please reach out to find out how we can work together. If you have a skill, talent, or zeal for solving problems, K-Enterprises would be thrilled to know more about you. You can get in touch by writing an email to team at kenterprises.biz. This is your host, Thomas Brancato, and I hope you are as eager to listen to our next episode as I am to host it. Thank you once again, and I wish each of you a great day. Thank you.